Hello and welcome to the Quietly Visible podcast. I'm your host, Carol Stewart, founder of The Bounding Solutions and author of Quietly Visible, leading with influence and impact as an introverted woman. And this is the podcast for introverted women who want to thrive as leaders and in life. Now, today I have somebody who I can't wait to get speaking to. Her name is Leanne Maskell, and she is an ADHD coach, author, and activist. Having presented to the World Health Organization on improving global access to support for ADHD, uh, previously working in mental health and disability law, Leanne set up ADHD Works to empower as many people as possible to learn about how to make ADHD work for them through courses, talks, and coaching. After being diagnosed with ADHD aged 25, Leanne published three books, including ADHD and A to Z, as featured on Sky News. Um, One of the reasons that I'm really looking forward to speaking to Leanne is because ADHD is a topic that I'm increasingly having conversations about. um, I'm increasingly finding lately that I'm having clients who have been diagnosed as with ADHD sort of like recently so you know they're women in in their careers and they're just recently being diagnosed so um, I'm really looking forward to unpacking exactly what ADHD is um, and what we need to know about it in order to make sure that we are being inclusive and to make sure that we better understand what it is and what it isn't so hello Leanne and welcome Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to the conversation, as I said. So tell us a little bit more about yourself. Oh, that question always <laughs> terrifies my brain. Um, uh, well, I, um, as you said, I basically was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of 25. Um, in short, before then, I felt very lost I grew up in Cyprus I studied law because I wasn't really sure what else to do um I could do like exams but I just didn't um ever really feel like I could concentrate enough to actually decide what I wanted to do with my future and so when I graduated I spent quite a few years traveling around just getting very lost um (laughs) and I was modeling as well I've been a fashion model since the age of 13 So this kind of culminated at the age of 25, as mentioned, where I um, had a really bad mental health kind of crisis, which got to the worst point then. And I was fortunate to have gone to see a private psychiatrist. Um, I had started Googling my problems and (laughs) believed I had like every single condition I could find on the Internet except ADHD. Was quite shocked to be diagnosed with it. Um, Didn't think it was a real thing and then a year later um but yeah that diagnosis process actually took me a year to finish off because my ADHD was so bad <laughs> so a year later I believed him I was like okay yes we can <laughs> fine and that from that moment onwards it was just a very transformative experience I was able to get the help that I needed I was able to get a job that I really enjoyed doing in in law um and able to work a bit better with myself and start um, understanding like that my brain worked differently to most people and that's okay um, which has led me down this long path of <laughs> writing a book about ADHD as well 
uh, and then just going full force into that life and now do a range of things. So I've got a company called ADHD Works. I'm an ADHD coach. I train companies on ADHD. We've got 25 new coaches starting soon. Um, wow, so, yeah, a huge, big, wonderful life <laughs> now. But yeah, very, very different. So hopefully that is a good explanation. Oh, that's a fantastic explanation. Um, and I'm interested in sort of pre-ADHD diagnosis and post. So just mm. 25, you know, you've had a full life up until then, yeah. not knowing or understanding what the what 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 the situation was or having right. So how was that for you? So as a child at school, how was it? What was it like for you? Um, it was not great because yeah. I, and it's really great to speak to you and I absolutely love your work as well um, because I always just felt very introverted in that way. Um, and I think a lot of women and girls of ADHD have this experience of being more the child that would be looking out the window, feel less able to speak out, um, and so we often get missed of support that we might have needed because we just were introverted <laughs> um, and didn't really know how to ask for it. So at school, I I literally would like quite often fall asleep in class, which from writing the book, I learned actually can be connected to ADHD in that our interest-based nervous system can just switch off if we become um, bored. <laughs> so um, yeah, I was very actually not physically hyperactive just mentally more dreamy um and when I, I say I, I knew that I hadn't been able to concentrate all year in the classes and I would do my homework on the way to school as well um and often try to skip school as much as possible but uh then when I was basically doing the exams because that had created so much like novelty and adrenaline and pressure um then I was able somehow to study really intensely for a month and like figured out how to teach myself quite early on mm -hmm. um, and then I could get A's and my teacher actually asked the whole class if I cheated because she was like it's not possible that Leanne has yeah. got such good grades I was like I'm sorry yeah. Um, but yeah and it's a weird way of living because you do feel like you're cheating just by having the brain that you do even though if at the end of the day like, like all that society supposedly cares about is the letter on an exam so it doesn't really matter how you get there but yeah it was really difficult and the same when I studied law like I would just go into lectures and be like okay I'm going to concentrate today like I would, I would really try so hard to force myself um to actually pay attention and would just come out feeling like the lecturer had spoken Chinese and so often didn't go at all um and then but again like managed to get a 2-1 degree so like from the outside, it looked like everything was great because that's what we do in our life, in our society. It's like, oh, you've got good grades. Perfect. Well done. Um, so it made it quite difficult to get help from doctors who said that I seemed fine. Um, right. No. And so when so when you were at school and, you know, you weren't sort of concentrating in the class and that sort of thing, did the teachers never sort of talk to you about that or try and find out, well, what is the reason for that? No, <laughs> no. Yeah. Sometimes they would tell me off for like not paying attention or looking out the window. Um, I had a really brilliant law teacher actually, and she she kind of figured out how to help me stay engaged in the classes, which is why I think I went on to 
really enjoy law like and I did really well in that class that was like the one class that I really did quite well in but it's because the te- that teacher kind of noticed that I needed a bit of a different approach to the other students and she really took the time to like actually give me positive reassurance and make sure that I understood what she was saying and like make it a bit more fun so um she was great but yeah the majority of teachers weren't <laughs> brilliant I went to school in Cyprus as well so it was a bit of a language difference oh gosh I bet that must have been um a bit of a barrier did you did you understand um and speak the language as well uh I learned a little bit of Greek but I didn't um like I was fortunate to go to an English school but yeah, it was a different it was like a very different culture and I'm pretty sure that um, no one that was in my class had any kind of diagnosis of any um conditions like ADHD or dyslexia mm-hmm. it's like it's Cyprus would have been a very different yeah it feels like a very different culture where you wouldn't really get that support um at yeah. all yeah um and before um I don't know do you have any involvement with schools now um do you know what the approach is at schools now have you had any experience with schools now since you've been diagnosed whether it's going into schools or um talking to schools about it at all um not so much when I became an ADHD coach I spoke to a lot of teachers Mm -hmm. parents and people that were really struggling in schools but not the schools themselves um Mm -hmm. and that was more from the approach of like social media and general mental health because a lot of the parents I was talking to their children were self-harming and the schools were telling them that everybody was self-harming and so that there was nothing they could do in these kind of ridiculous crazy things to hear um so I basically wrote a book called the reality manifesto to try and help them with that because I've been through a lot of these things myself as a child mm-hmm. um and then I have went really nicely I basically went back to my old university and spoke to them um about ADHD which is very nice because I was obviously diagnosed a lot later um mm-hmm. after doing that degree but uh yeah like going into schools is definitely something I would be keen to do even though it would be very very scary children are a lot more scary than adults <laughs> <laughs> but I but it's so important because um, having coached children and worked with parents on getting support for them in places in school and university, it's unfortunately so much harder than in um, workplaces. It seems because I don't know why, because there's no one to complain to. Um, it's a really, really frustrating um, world to be in, and I, I really feel for all the parents. Oh, and the children um, and the teachers <laughs> really feel for everybody um but I do think there's a lot more awareness of it now it's just almost the problems are because teachers haven't had that up-to-date training yeah. um, they don't know what to do with that awareness yeah and I do think it's so important that they have the training and develop that awareness because there's so many children that are being or missing out or or slipping through the net and not getting the the kind of teaching that works for them. Um, you know, in some ways, I think the, the 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 way that schools are and the way that teaching is done needs a complete overhaul yeah. um, to accommodate the different learning styles that there are, and and not just you know this is the way, this mm-hmm. way or the highway, so to speak. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's a big reason of why I created this um, like ADHD coaching course that we're starting next week. And we've got quite a few teachers on there. One oh, of, that's good. Yeah. It was a really big thing I wanted to do. Well, just to give people the skills of how to work and support people with ADHD, whether that's like managers, even like my GP, when I was going to the doctor, they would tell me how they had people coming in every day wanting um assessments and they would have to put them on these huge waiting lists and how they felt really bad about not being able to do anything else in the meantime and I was like you could ask them about their screen time and their routines and this and that like there's so many things that can help but if you don't know about them in advance or how to explain ADHD to someone um like getting that diagnosis isn't necessarily the be all and end all like but there are so many other things that people can do like like my law teacher with me at school where she helped me, even though none of us knew what my brain, <laughs> how I was different. Like she just took the time to figure that out with me. Um, mm. Yeah. So I hope to be able to help with that. And I've got a woman called Kirsten who has a brilliant online school called Gaia Learning, which is like a, she created it for, um, she calls them like misfit children or like children, um, particularly those that are neurodivergent who um, don't fit into normal school or need extra help with their um, studies which I'm really happy to have been able to refer some of my clients on to who were just struggling so much in the traditional education systems but she works with them in like ways that they're actually interested in so um, for example one likes drama so then she would work with her on like actually building up ways of studying that related to drama and acting, which we just wouldn't necessarily think about in the traditional school. So hopefully, hopefully that's the future. Did I you? Mm-hmm. What, what was that like for you? Um, it was a very unusual experience. It was, uh, at that time I, I had really, um, become very like mentally unwell and basically wanted to end my own life but kind of decided that maybe I shouldn't do that uh and so because I went to see doctors and therapists quite a few times over these few years um whilst feeling like that and they usually told me I was fine and I felt a bit awkward to like insist that I wasn't fine until I eventually was like no I can't I can't live like this i went to see a private psychiatrist which was um very expensive but seeing as I paid all the money I was like okay I'm gonna fully fully get tell you everything and I was yeah at that time I was so scared of talking about mental health and telling anyone what was going on in my brain that like I was assuming I would be put into hospital um and obviously that did not happen um but yeah it was quite shocking to for me to have the the psychiatrist who just interrupted me and started asking me other questions and he said that you don't have any of these conditions he's like you've got ADHD and I said ADHD isn't a real thing and he was like yes it is real <laughs> he was like yes it is indeed and I was like well actually that's fine I was like that's not very socially like bad I was like fine give me the medication um he was like we can't do that he said you have to go and fill in these forms you get your family to fill in these forms um and come back so I was like fine um, but I was going on holiday for two weeks and so I was meant to go back two weeks later but like I mentioned my symptoms were so bad that I kind of went on holiday and met a random person on the beach and moved to Australia with them <laughs> um, so, yep a year later I came back to see him and was like fine I believe you maybe this ADHD thing is real here are the forms um 
so yeah so it was a really it was an interesting process for me and like I had a lot of time to kind of learn more about it before that diagnosis was necessarily like finished off and then actually things got a lot worse for me because um I was just put on medication that was like so if and um it was 300 pounds a month to access and wow yeah for me I'd already paid a thousand pounds for the private diagnosis um and did not have money to buy (laughs) medication um I was like so at that point my life was really spiraling out of control and uh, I couldn't believe that I was expected to pay 300 pounds a month forever (laughs) to access medication um and he said, oh, you can't go back to the NHS because he was like, it will be too um, much of a long wait. You'll have to have a gap between the medication. And so, anyway, so that was really stressful. And I got really sick off the medication, which is basically that experience is kind of what led me to write the book, the um, ADHD and A to Z book, because it was just awful to go through. So that diagnosis wasn't particularly helpful by itself, <laughs> but helpful in the retrospect. But at the time, it was just extra stress sounds it sounds like it was a very stressful experience and then to be expected to pay 300 pound a month yeah yeah um and so once you so if you hadn't had that um that if if you hadn't gone through what you'd gone through with in terms of your mental health Mm. do you think you would have got to know that you had adhd interesting question I don't maybe now that there's a lot more awareness I might have seen something that would have put the dots together for me but even then even after I was diagnosed I still didn't really believe it for a while it was only when I heard a podcast with a doctor talking about this rejection sensitive dysphoria that it kind of pieced it together for me because Mm -hmm. um the symptoms of ADHD that are kind of officially on the criteria of what they inattention impulsivity and or hyperactivity didn't really resonate with me um mm-hmm. like that's definitely mentally hyperactive but I didn't realize that I thought everybody's brains was like mine um <laughs> I just assumed everyone has got those kind of radios going off and I could concentrate well enough like I could get good grades um when I wanted to and yeah like um so and impulsivity I didn't I know now looking back, I was really impulsive, but at the time, again, you don't really realize what you're doing is not normal. Um, so I don't know, because if, when I heard about this rejection sensitive dysphoria, they were talking about how people with ADHD have got these very intense emotional reactions to real or perceived rejection because we struggle with emotional regulation, um, which can lead us to become like so heavily influenced that we could end up becoming suicidal but usually only for a short period of time, like a few hours or a few days, which is what um, I was experiencing a lot. And I would then wake up in the morning feeling completely fine. and mm-hmm. like, oh, oh, that's very embarrassing. Um, but it, And that's what led me to believe that I had something like bipolar. But once I understood, once I heard about this rejection sensitive dysphoria and how actually the defining feature of that in comparison to a condition like bipolar is that it is short periods of time um, Mm -hmm. and triggered by something in particular not more of like a chemical chemical reason Mm -hmm. Um, it really that was when I was like okay this is real (laughs) and I was like I'm gonna go write a book and find out what else 
what else have not been told because um nobody tells you any of this and um when I was diagnosed I didn't even get a letter until I kind of became so ill that I insisted on one for my GP and I just said well I'm gonna have to go through that and I was like okay I was like however long it lasts I was like it's better for me to do that than to stay in this like subscription for the rest of my life that I can't afford I was like I'm just gonna have to start all over again and accept that this money has been wasted but my GP told me that they could have actually prescribed me that medication straight away so they have been told something different um and that was yeah that was really why I wanted to create that um that book because I was like that's Mm -hmm. just so yeah, so I don't know if I would have been diagnosed with it, but then I don't know if I would my life would have reached necessarily the criteria for a definition of where you have to it's basically two or more parts of your life have to be um significantly negatively impacted by symptoms for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Okay. And if I could just pick up on the rejection sensitive dysphoria, um and if you could just maybe sort of ex- talk a bit more about that because I've I've had clients with ADHD um and that fear of rejection has I, I, it has been de- deliberate debilitating is that the right word um mm. particularly where they've been in meetings they've been introverted in meetings particularly where it's a women in a male-dominated extroverted mm. environment um and so they've rather than say what they really want to say they've then adopted this apologetic state whereby they're almost apologizing for Mm -hmm. themselves um, and letting other people dominate the conversation and oftentimes it's been that that fear of rejection that has been the reason for that um it's so awful (laughs) it's so like that i I know I ended up talking to the directors of the World Health Organization about it for this reason. I was like, especially this rejection sensitive dysphoria, it can range from situations like that you just described to, for example, when I would get rejected from a job, I would be so, my brain would just go so quickly from like, I've been rejected from this job to like, I should end my life, um, which obviously Mm -hmm. is not very um, rational. But in the moment, it's just like an automatic trigger and you don't really realize what's happening. But it's extremely dangerous when you consider that, like, for example, ADHD is connected with these symptoms of impulsivity. So Mm -hmm. we're reacting very unconsciously to like this emotional dysregulation. And we can it can cause huge, huge issues, um, which can really be quite problematic and keep us stuck in those loops. So. The reject. I, I stopped making a course on it last year. We had a lot, and it was an amazing thing because there were like sixty people that did it, and we had these group chats every week, and um, just to see all these people have had such similar experiences, um, where yeah, you kind of allow your life to be dominated by other people or what you think should you should be doing, um, and I think a lot of it does come from growing up thinking differently. Like for me. Um, when my teachers asked if the class if I cheated and like although I knew that I didn't cheat in the way of like you know copying answers it did feel to a degree like I had cheated somehow because I was like well I didn't do it how everyone else did it so I must have done something wrong here yeah right. it would be that easy and so you kind of live with this underlying insecurity that um 
you know, one day the penny is going to drop and <laughs> everyone's going to thank God for me. <laughs> I shared this um, petition on LinkedIn yesterday. Um, this like parliamentary um, parliament are doing a debate on ADHD and autism assessments, which is an amazing, amazing thing. And they uh, gave people like an email template to send to their MPs to ask them to go to the debate. And then parliament, hopefully have um, published a petition uh, a survey for people to give feedback on um, mm-hmm. their experiences of how long it took them to access support and I um, shared it and like it's amazing like 500 people have shared it as well and it, I'm sure the parliament will be like oh where have all these responses come from um, <laughs> but then someone said to me you know is this definitely from parliament how do you know and I was like oh oh my god they're right what if it's a scam what if it's wrong oh my god I'm gonna go to prison what if I've accidentally tricked 500 people into sharing their experiences with a hacker like it's that kind of like automatic freak out catastrophe worst case scenario and then I emailed the parliamentary group and I was like is this real does this actually come from you because it's not on your because um, I'd found it from a different charity that posted it so it's kind of that automatic not trusting yourself and mm-hmm. always immediately assuming the worst of like yourself and I, I really beat myself up I was like how could I not have checked that how am I so stupid like oh my god like everyone's gonna hate me in the world I'm like oh yeah it's a really annoying irrational experience to have and um, can be quite upsetting but maybe more annoying is when you're kind of okay a few hours later and then you kind of beat yourself up again for yeah dramatic um yeah. So how how do you um, manage those situations now, um, now that you have that awareness of what is going on? How do you manage those situations when you experience that rejection sensitive disorder? Yeah. Um, for me, it's become a lot better in a number of ways. Like one huge one is actually learning about it. And they, we say in the coaching world of like name it to tame it. So because I knew that this was something other people experienced I didn't feel so ashamed anymore Mm -hmm. um and that helped me to actually move past the beating myself up point to being like okay let's try and notice when this happens um try and think a bit more rationally like try to spot in my body what is going on if I'm catastrophizing there's a lot of exercises that I do myself and with clients on like catching the thoughts and Mm -hmm. establishing what is actually the worry here um and then thinking like what's the worst case scenario what's the best case scenario a lot of kind of cbt based yeah well things but for me as well i think um having that i think that's what really helps me with the medication is i can see my brain slow down a bit and instead of like for example if i was having a bad day I wouldn't quit my job, but I would um, be able to slow down a bit to like know what things help me, like watching a TV show, um, reading a book, distracting myself and like waiting for it to pass. Whereas when I was younger, it was just really scary because I didn't know what was happening. And I thought like I was going completely crazy. And it means that I've also learned a lot of really helpful um, ways now of being able to like manage my responsibility so that I can kind of I know that it's okay to change my mind if I've like people pleased someone and said yes automatically I know that I can say to them actually I didn't I didn't mean you know I was meant to go on holiday next week with some people and I was like 
I'm not coming. I don't want to come. Mm-hmm. It's nicer now to have built that self-esteem up a little bit to know, like, if I'm rejected, then it's fine. All good. Yeah. And and I guess it's that getting to that place where if somebody rejects you, as you said, it is fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, I find a lot with the, the clients that I've worked with who've had ADHD is that not being able to accept that um, and then eventually getting to a place where that is okay. But what that can do for them before they get to that place is, yeah, it just puts a lot of pressure on them, a lot of stress and can send them into a, a negative spiral. Yeah. Uh, so, so, so post-diagnosis and coming to, to accept and understand it better, that sort of led you down this path of writing books and increasing an awareness and becoming an activist. So tell us about your um, post, post-diagnosis and in terms of how you got into the work that you're doing now and what you are doing in that work and with your activism. Yeah, the... Happy days, the good times. Uh, <laughs> I was working in law, um, and like I mentioned, it was really challenging after the diagnosis again, which is why I try to be re- like I try to raise a lot of awareness around this as well because it's it's a really tricky world that we live in where things are so simplified um, on the internet of being like, oh, we just need the diagnosis, and it's like, no, people need the help after after the diagnosis. We need the understanding, but for me. As I, um, basically, I, I was still struggling with certain things because although I was on medication that fortunately I could get through the NHS in the end, um, there were still things I was struggling with. Um, but again, no one really explains ADHD to you, so I didn't really know how to handle these, but I learned that the government could actually pay for coaching through something called access to work. And there was funding available for people with ADHD or any health condition to access support like coaching. And I could not believe it. <laughs> what? I scraped money together for diagnoses and therapy and all. Oh God. Yeah. So I was amazed to learn this, um, received it and, it was just life-changingly helpful to talk to someone that had been through what I had been through, um, who understood how my brain worked and who could help me actually for the first time, like filter through it and decide what I wanted to do with that information, like being diagnosed with ADHD, for example. Um, and so that led me to basically publish this book, ADHD and A to Z, which I'd written. I wrote most of it. I wrote like 90% of it on my laptop um over like three weeks when I was very focused on ADHD Ben didn't touch it again for like eight months uh but by the time I had the coaching I was like oh I've got this book I could publish it uh <laughs> so we published it there I just did it on Amazon um at the time misspelled the title as AHD was mortified decided not to mention that ever again to anybody but um, then companies started approaching me like Microsoft and they asked me to do a talk there. <laughs> so, okay, if you want to do it. Um, and people started, mess- like, people started finding the book anyway and telling me how amazingly helpful it was, which was really, really um, amazing for me to hear. 
Uh, and yeah, and I, I just ended up deciding to go full time into that world. And because I was working in mental health and disability law, I knew that from a company perspective, um, things like reasonable adjustments, like how to support employees in the workplace, um, disability law. Like when I started that job, I had no idea that ADHD could in any world be considered a disability. I would have thought disability meant like somebody in a wheelchair. I never would have assumed like my brain could have been a disability, but it, it definitely is. Um, it's really challenging to live with. Um, but it's just like completely reshaped all of my understandings from having that very unique experience working in the area. So yes, I set up the company to, and that's what we do now. We train other companies on, um, on disability, neurodiversity, ADHD. I work with individuals, um, coaching them. Like I was coached and run, run ADHD retreat last year, which was very fun. Got courses, (laughs) um, kind of living my best ADHD creative life here where I'm just like idea woohoo great it and trying not to burn out most of the time um but but yeah it's a really amazing amazing place to be considering like um five years ago I had no idea what to do with my life so that that is amazing and and the work that you do is amazing as well and really making a difference um and so for someone who has not been diagnosed what are the the things that or the symptoms or the signs that they may have ADHD or other things that or yeah and then what and then what should they do about it if they think that they have I think it's a really tricky one to get into because ADHD is very different for everybody there's obviously the symptoms like you know, do you struggle to pay attention do you experience a strong sensitivity to real or perceived rejection um and also like the way I start off talks for companies is I often count to 10 and I ask people to write or tell me at what number they lost concentration because we do live in a world where most people's attention span is like two or three seconds long um and we do live in a world as well on social media where information about things like ADHD can get really um simplified into things like I just mentioned like you know on TikTok I often see videos from people saying if you you know being diagnosed with ADHD or taking medication can help you get off TikTok which seems very ironic um (laughs) oh and uh you know and then you've got the whole other side of it because the waiting times in the UK are so long like I think there's a lot of capitalist groups that have stepped in and they might be advertising um assessments and medication to people on platforms like tiktok and so it's a really big world and like hard i don't i really don't want to generalize it but like the way that i explain it to people is usually with that diagnostic criteria which is like if you feel like your life is in a bit of chaos um if you feel like you do have symptoms um where for me personally it was like i just kept self-sabotaging my life over and over again like I was falling out with all my friends and family and blaming everybody else um I was moving country every month but things like that like quitting your job or um you know really like not being able to concentrate on anything long enough like starting and stopping new things constantly getting bored of things um, and to the degree where it's really significantly like impacting your life um, and obviously if you're feeling like 
suicidal um, yeah. <laughs> as well if you like oh this life this thing is just too overwhelming the train is late I can't figure out how to get there I should just die then that's probably good <laughs> um would definitely see a doctor but I think yeah there's so many different aspects of it um and it's really difficult for me to kind of put into terms the severity of how bad symptoms should or shouldn't be but um because like for example I've got friends that if they went to see if they were put in a office they would a hundred billion percent be diagnosed with ADHD because they are like energy healers and live these like wonderfully creative amazing lives where and that's where we hear about all of the strengths of um, things like ADHD which has been actually proven proven to be linked with strengths like creativity um, hyper focus like compassion and loyalty so there's lots of brilliant aspects to it but it's all about the environment that you're in and yeah. that whole concept of it becomes very philosophically confusing because I don't think that we should be labeling people with a disorder if like they are just actually in the wrong environment for them or also like for example when I was diagnosed yeah my life definitely was disordered but now I wouldn't say it is so mm-hmm. Like it, that's another topic for another day. But, um, and it's a very stigmatizing condition to have as well in that way. Like, because maybe someone has been diagnosed, I talk to people that get diagnosed because they don't have, um, places in their house to keep their different things, which, like, I'm just like, ah! And that's something I'm really passionate about. Um, basically helping people to understand the difference between that, like, because, like, I've just mentioned, that whole process was so stressful and, horrible and especially if you're like um you've lived your whole life a certain way and to be told by someone that you've suddenly got some kind of disorder is can be really really overwhelming and cause a lot of severe stress and um it's it's not all like beautiful on the other side because then you have to figure out what that means for you I've worked with people that you know in my opinion like they didn't actually have any problems <laughs> like there wasn't a, I say like you know what are the things that led up to you getting diagnosed and they said oh I read an article um but they weren't experiencing like challenges on a day-to-day basis so then they're expecting something to happen afterwards that might not happen because um I do think that because the NHS hasn't stepped up like the private people that have filled the gap they are just diagnosing people that can meet this meet these questions that they ask them which are pretty freely available on the internet they don't like yeah they don't open up your brain and say yes 100% I can see ADHD there they just tell you what they think um so that's a very long-winded way of probably not (laughs) be like yes if you struggle to pay attention you might have ADHD but um I think the more important question for people is like if you are considering getting a diagnosis um, or like if you're wondering whether you do have that is like actually what would you like to be different in your life as a result mm-hmm. um, I mean like if some if say you do get that diagnosis you're still the same person and at the end of the day that's just one person's opinion of of yourself um, and like like for example I'm sure that I've got autistic traits really really sure I'm sure I could definitely be diagnosed with autism but I don't see the point of going and having someone tell me that so because mm-hmm. there's nothing I want to do with that information um mm-hmm. so yeah. and, and I think there's something that you said which um is quite key about the environment and the right environment so somebody in a in the right environment or um, that enables them to utilize their strengths, their creativity, their hyper focus and compassion and all that. 
may it may not have an adverse effect on them. But if someone is in an environment that stifles that, mm-hmm. then that is going to affect them more. Um, so I, I think that that is quite a a key thing yeah. to, to to sort of take into consideration. And again, what you say about the disorder, if if somebody is in an environment, is disorder the right term? Yeah, exactly. Um, no. I don't think so. Because <laughs> as you said, then when, when if someone's told, oh, you've got a disorder, that, that is quite a negative, mm-hmm. <laughs> very heavily negatively loaded statement, isn't it? That's quite shaming. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Whereas, you know, a a different environment can create a different set of circumstances for somebody. Yeah, there's a really good book called Stolen Focus. um, Okay. Mm -hmm. About how animals, I think it was horses a long time ago. They were some of the first beings given, I think it's psychotic medication or like some kind of medication like you would give for ADHD um, or different mental health conditions that would calm me down basically. And he said, because the horses were self-harming, because they were locked in cages. And he said, because the horses should have been outside, like running in the fields, um, they'd started like hurting themselves in the cages. And when they gave the medication, then they stopped doing that. And I think that's a really big thing to take away, which is like, you know, the medication can be extremely helpful and things. And like, I do think sometimes me, I'm like, wow, I did have, I had a very tricky time before I was diagnosed, but I also did have a very exciting time, like running around the world, having lots of different experiences, like good mm-hmm. highs and lows. Now I do have a much more stable, happy life. Um, but like, it would be much harder for me to do that now because I have to stay here, ironically, to get my medication every month. They'll only give me a month at a time. So mm-hmm. it's like, it's all about your environment. And I think that's really relevant for the workplace as well. And where people, you know, you don't have to have a formal medical diagnosis of ADHD or any other condition if you feel like it's um significantly impacting your ability to work then your employer has got a duty to make adjustments to support you under the equality act and actually I think of it like if you had a plant that was dying you would just move the plant around the house or give it different bits of water you wouldn't just check it out and I think it's the same kind of concept that we shouldn't just okay this person's disordered let's give them a tablet um but it's or like oh they've got a problem but it's like actually maybe they're in the wrong environment for them like it's especially kids now the ones in covid that were expected to study on the computer for like 12 hours a day and just look into a screen it's just not an environment that they should be in um mm-hmm. as young kids so yeah i think they're very big complex <laughs> complex issues that many of them are outside my scope but that's kind of my opinion on it that like our society sort of got to adapt and up, update as well because we do live in a world where things like social media can just hook people in for hours and hours on end and make us all think that we've got a problem when actually maybe the problem is like the tools that we're using yeah um, I, I could speak to you all day <laughs> there's so much I think to unpack and to increase awareness about um though if somebody so so I'm gonna ask you two questions here. One for individuals who may think they have ADHD and one for people who are either leaders or coaches or who are supporting people with ADHD. So first question for those who may have ADHD or think they have ADHD, what services of yours can they tap into 
and where should they go to find it? They can read my book, ADHD and A to Z. They can also come follow me on the internet, Leanne Maskell, where I've got an entire ADHD library on LinkedIn, free of charge. <laughs> Daily post about my life having ADHD. Um, no, but I try to put as much resources as I can on there to make it as accessible as possible. So things like templates to talk to your employer about ADHD at work and all of those different things. And also we've got the courses that you can do online as well. Um, and the coaching itself, like I'm so, so, so excited to have these new coaches that we're training up. Um, he'll be able to support people as well, because although I really love coaching people, I think there's a real difference when you're able to talk to someone that has been through the same experiences as you, like having a parent, if you've had children and things like that. Um, so we've got lots of different kinds of people that are doing that, that course. So that we, if you would like a coach, we've got one for you at ADHDworks.info. Um, and what else? I got retreats. <laughs> and when I managed to get, gather together my executive functioning to organize another one, um, really really amazing experience to have a whole house full of people with ADHD that have all, we all talk at a million miles an hour and it's um very very fun mm-hmm. um yeah and then from the company side we've got training as well that's available at adhdworks.info and the same kind of um coaching and courses and support and everything on the internet I try to just put as much as I can out there to help people but I would say especially um that coaching course um in learning how to support people and fundamentally like to go back to your earlier question of if someone's not sure if they've got ADHD I would recommend learning about it from um not to plug my own book but ADHD and A to Z because rather than getting stuck in spirals on the internet um but learning about it from a few like contained sources yeah googling it forever yeah um, you can just go down a rabbit hole can't you when you go on the internet yeah <laughs> Yeah. And and so your your course for sort of managers, leaders, coaches, when is the next one? Um September. September. Okay, so people have got time to put it in the diary. Yeah, we've really got people that have booked onto it. I, I was like, maybe hopefully we could get ten people in an ideal world for this one starting now, and um, we've got twenty five of them. So, oh, well, that's good. That's good. And so, um, that's fantastic what you're doing, Le- Leanne. So, and thank you for coming on and for sharing sharing your experience, um, and also sharing your knowledge and expertise as well, because there are so many people that will benefit from it. So. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you, listeners. And do go and check Leanne out on her website, on her social media platforms, connect with her, follow her. Um, And if you are someone who has ADHD or um, thinks that you may have, do what Leanne has suggested. She's got plenty of resources. She's got her courses. If you're a leader, a manager, if you're a coach, and, and you are supporting people with ADHD. Her next course starts in September. Thank you so much, Carol. So thank you, everybody, for listening. And if you are wanting to increase your confidence, influence and impact, if you go to my website, aboundingsolutions.com, there's a free assessment that you can complete on there that will give you ideas about areas that you can focus on. And so until the next time, bye. Thank you.